grandparents had, um, and it's funny, but not funny. Like they had cabinets full of like canned beans, canned corn, canned everything. Cause they were depression kids. Yeah. So in my mind, that's where I go with food is a thing, right? Like you eat your food. Let's not be wasteful with food. Like for them, it was to the point of they had bloated canned corn and bloated canned beans. I'm like, guys, if you're going to go out of the universe, you're going to go out for a good reason. Not because you ate a bloated <laughs> can of corn from 1972. <laughs> this podcast represents the opinions of our hosts and guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice and is for informational purposes only. This podcast also does not establish a standard of care, doctor, patient, or client relationship. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. And because each person is so unique, all listeners are encouraged to connect with counseling and medical professionals for assistance with their personal journey. All people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect the privacy of those involved. Welcome to We're Not Fine. I'm Dr. Talia Jackson. And I'm Doug Jensen. We thank you for listening every week to our deep and thought-provoking conversations about relationships. Hi, all y'all. Welcome back to We're Not Fine. Hello to our listeners. Welcome to the podcast about all things relationships. And so much more. And so much more. We always end up going off on tangents and talking about things that are not about relationships, but really everything's about relationships. One of the things we found really is that even when people, because we have sometimes people who are interested in being on the podcast or talking to us and, you know, everything kind of comes back to every single thing in our lives can impact our relationships with others. It can impact our relationships. And it's also all about our relationships, starting with our relationship with ourselves. This episode today, which is a completely separate pivot here, but we cannot tell you how interesting this topic is to us. Yeah. We are interviewing this fantastic Emmy-nominated TV journalist about money mindset and couples. She's got like a wealth management um, business and she's brilliant. And we're going to talk about why money is so scary for couples to talk about. And you know, the thing about it is everybody who is in a relationship of any kind knows that money becomes an issue. Anything from how you pay the bill, whether you, I think we call it going Dutch, where you each kind of pay your half of it or whatnot, or your share. Like, how do you manage money from the very beginning of a relationship? And how do you manage when there's a money and income discrepancy in your relationship? So there's so many ways that money shows up in relationships. And inevitably, even if a relationship is generally healthy and it's not the presenting issue that people come in with in my office uh, when I'm working with a couple, Inevitably, it becomes something that gets part of the discussion because it does affect people and that planning long term. And like, do you put away for invest? Do you invest? Do you you know, put away for retirement? And everyone is at different places in that. And I'm, I'm someone who truly believes no matter what your income level is, uh, no matter what the discrepancy might be, even if you have the same amount of money, you still spend it differently. And so it's going to be an ongoing discussion in any relationship and an important part of it of moving forward. I know. You guys are going to love what she has to say. Yep. And without further ado, we're going to welcome her. Yeah, we are. We would love to introduce our amazing guest today, Jennifer Rogers Markwell, Emmy-nominated TV journalist, change gears in your career to help empower people to take charge of your finances. Jennifer, you are the president and wealth advisor for your investment firm, Platinum Wealth Management, and you also anchor the Platinum Talks Wealth podcast. 
where you discuss with your guests the psychology behind money memories and financial infidelities, which I'm so excited personally to kind of hear what those are and have you describe those. They sound fascinating and they sound very relationship-based, which is in line with our podcast, of course. You're here today to talk to us about these very topics, and we are very excited, as every single relationship has to deal with money. So I'm very excited to talk about these issues with you. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Grateful to be here. Great. All the way. Yep. And most people don't even connect money and psychology, but as therapists, we know it never doesn't get talked about. People are terrified to talk about money. They avoid the conversations. No one wants to talk about budgeting. I mean, you might, but you're going to teach us how to love it. But it's like a huge issue for people. And so, yeah, we we can't wait to hear what you think about this and how you bring money and psychology together. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, that's one of the top, you both would know this too, right? This is one of the top reasons people get in fights, have divorces. I mean, money is definitely that thread amongst many conversations and relationships or lack thereof, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how pervasive it is. And, you know, I, I will say that in some of my couples that I work with, There are absolutely people who want to talk about it, but they don't exactly know how to talk about it or even know what their goals are and, you know, what it is that they're really shooting for in those conversations. So I would say some people are really eager to say, let's we need a budget. Like I I just actually worked with a couple last week and they're like, we need a budget. We are overspending what we make. And so it is really just simple and basic to me that you would sit down and talk about what you're making and what you're spending, except I don't think it's easy at all. And then there's all of these unpredictable things in this life of ours. Yeah. So. I would love to hear more about like how you connect what you do um, to to relationships and to to people's experiences with money. Yeah, you tease that you could talk a lot, right? I could go for hours on this, by all means. No, I know. Um, <laughs> it's interesting because I feel a lot of things that you said resonate with me, um, truly. The couples having the conversations. I mean, I tease. I'm like, it's a good Friday night, right? We sit down, have a little dinner, maybe have a glass of wine and talk budgeting and finances in my household. My husband like laughs at me because I'm a big nerd too. Um, but <laughs> I think that's... That's how it should be, right? Like it should be a conversation. It should be casual. But I think for a lot of folks too, to dive in a little early, but I can go back wherever you want me to go, but this dives into money memories. So what your money memory that you had as a child or a younger person really helps mold your relationship to money as an adult. And that spills over in your relationship. So if you're coming from a place where, hey, I was brought up in the Midwest, my family had a hard time getting food on the table, that's going to be where you potentially resonate when you think about money. So to bring that into a relationship, I think you need to have that discussion because that's some of your baggage that you have coming in, which is okay. It's just being open and honest. And then in some cases it's figuring out the new narrative, the new narrative for you, the new narrative for you as a you know couple, whatever that looks like. So there's a lot of different moving parts behind the scenes, not just budgeting, absolutely super important finances, making sure your retirement accounts are good, all of those things. Yes. But really going down back to the basics of like where your money mindset comes from and psychologically where it was, that you got it. I'm really digging that, Jennifer. You know, it's interesting. One of the things that I do and I value a great deal, different therapists work in different therapeutic models and modalities, right? But I'm really a firm believer more psychodynamically about how our past influences our present and our future. And you did such a nice job of talking about, and you kind of just described, I assumed money memory meant that, by the way. Like, what are our memories about money? What have we formed in terms of those 
One of the things I'm very struck by that you just said was uh, the, the narrative, changing the narrative or the new narrative. Mm -hmm. You know, I think for some people, maybe it's not changing the narrative. Maybe they have a healthy relationship with money. I will tell you, most of us do not. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's funny. I got to tell you, you, you mentioned work growing up in the Midwest where it was hard to have money on the table. I mean, food on the table, not money on the table. Same thing. Um, I grew up that way. Like mm -hmm. I, one of the things that, you know, as we're going to be joining you on your podcast as well, my money memory is mm -hmm. I come from a very scarce place. We did not have a lot as a farm family. And then coming into a professional realm where I have more money, I have struggled from the mm -hmm. beginning. I overbuy, I spend, I don't save enough. I don't do all those things. I've changed now, but it really took me a long time. I just recently went through my closet and realized how many clothes I bought and how many shoes I bought. And I'm like... Why did I do that? What a silly thing to do. So I love that you're correlating what we take into what it is that we really ultimately might want to change it into. And, and you're spot on. Maybe you don't. Maybe you grew up with a really healthy mindset. There's uh, somebody that I've talked to on my podcast and his mindset blew me away because I feel like the money conversation is a thread amongst everybody, which is why I launched it. I was hearing it from clients and it was interesting because you were hearing from clients that were multi, multi-millionaires, wildly successful, yet they were right. like, Jennifer, um, can I afford to buy um, a couch? Is it okay? Is it going to blow my retirement budget? And I'm like, no, no, you're good. You're so good. But let's, I, I know where they come from because I know them because they're my clients. So really, you know, delving into that. But the the funny story of, it's not haha -ha funny, but it kind of is, is uh, there's a person that I chatted with who his money memory was going back to when he was little. So he's like, I think I was like maybe four, maybe five, had a lemonade stand, right? For those of you that don't know what a lemonade stand is, it's like, you know, a little stand you build, you sell lemonade, you make some, you know, summer money on. Um, but this was, again, 40, gosh, 40 plus years ago. And he had said he was charging $5 a cup for lemonade. And I was like, dang, $5 a cup five years ago. Yeah. So and he's like, he's like, I knew my value and I knew my worth. He's like, I didn't mess around. I had fresh lemons. I gave the good sugar. He's like, I didn't, I didn't cheap on that. He's like, and I gave a song and I gave a dance. He's like, they got a deal. And so wow. I was like, that's I guy. I'm so inspired. Is that amazing? But to have that, to have that thought process and that mindset when you're so young, normally we don't hear stories quite like that, but definitely inspiring. And now he's, you know, wildly successful and um, is a stager on a very popular um, national show. So interestingly enough, like these stories are just fascinating across the board and everyone has one. Everyone has a money memory that really, I think, helped them evolve, whether they changed the narrative or whether they didn't. It's definitely that psychology behind the scenes that makes them tick. It's so interesting. I mean, yeah, I definitely, the second you said money memories, I have like two really big ones that come up for me. Yeah. And we talked about this somewhat because, I mean, I don't think that we were as poor as, as you were. I really, I know there was like, there was no struggle to get anything, like any food on the table. But, you know, I come from an immigrant family and my dad, you know, was a professor, but they never had any money and they filed bankruptcy. But I just remember going out to a restaurant was so incredibly special and that we would go to a restaurant and you could either choose like a sweet drink, like a, you know, whatever soft drink or um, a dessert. And then you never got appetizers because only rich people got appetizers, but you did get to order like a main dish. And then I just remember that like, there was something about that, that we're not able to recreate for our children is yeah. that like scarcity slash, this is so very special you know, that it's so special to be able to splurge in these ways. 
And I also remember that as soon as my parents sort of, they, you know, they got divorced and money was like real scarce. But um, I remember, so I also was a scholarship kid at a really fancy private school locally. And I was surrounded by just like the wealthiest people. And I remember that a part of my identity was like, I felt so proud that like I had this scholarship and I made it to this school and nobody paved the way. I mean, my parents paved the way they advocated for me. But I remember when we started doing well, because we, you know, we were working really hard and that entrepreneurial spirit and all the things. I remember it was so hard for me to re-narrate or like reconcile the narrative of like I'm a scholarship kid and I don't need money and money's for losers and we've got love and these are our values to all of a sudden being like I like traveling <laughs> to Tuscany and I really love my Nespresso machine right and it feels it felt a little gross for a long time and I had to I just, it's like a re-narrating your story of like why it's okay to not struggle. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because for some folks too, money becomes like the bane of evil at some point, right? Because mm -hmm. of how they grew up or what, whatever they, you know, seeds were planted in their brain at one point, like, you know, people who are wealthy are not good people. And I've heard that a lot too. And so well, when people become successful, right. And they're on a different path. They're like, am I a bad person? What, what does that look like? And they're like, no, I'm a good person and I'm going to do good with this money. And I think it kind of goes back to the mentality too of like, money's not your God, right? Money is not your God, shouldn't be your God. What you do with money should be making the world a better place, whatever that looks like in your bubble, right? Like whether that's you helping your family, helping others around you, but really taking it to the next level, but changing the narrative for other generations, to let them see that you are making a difference with what you have. That's so beautiful. I mean, like, so that's like, how, what are other reasons why money is so scary for people to talk about? Like, what do you find? I think back to the reason of your podcast, right? The relationship side of things, for sure. I think in, in couples, there can be a feeling of, okay, if I share this, I'm really vulnerable here. If I share this, is this person going to leave me or think less of me? Um, and that's where I think those financial infidelities come in, in essence, right? Because people and, and I think most people are guilty of it to a certain degree of whatever that is. So a financial infidelity would be defined as you not being impeccable with a partner or someone in your world, whether that be business, romantic, whatever. Um, and you're shielding or hiding money from that person in whatever essence that is. That could be like I'm shopping and I may be not showcasing all the shopping that I did and all the bags that I have or all the Amazon boxes on my doorstep, right? Are you um, like talking about me specifically right now, Jennifer? No, no. <laughs> over my shoulder in my day-to-day. -day. I, I do that. I do that. It's so gross. But Same that's more. a thing. Yeah. That's a thing. And it's interesting because it can go to wild extremes where someone's buying, you know, a very expensive piece of jewelry for themselves. Or I had one gal share um, her partner rolled home with a brand new BMW. And she's like, those headlights look a little funky. And she didn't put two and two together until the next morning. And she's like, that's a beautiful car out front. And he's like, oh, yeah, I bought that with their money and didn't have a conversation. What? Okay. 
Yeah. yeah. I'm thinking of the multiple layers about this. You know, so much is honestly funny enough getting triggered in my head about people I've worked with or whatnot. Because, you know, I start to think about like that balance between buying the BMW or a couch and not buying that. And how much do you save? And I kind of always have this image of Scrooge McDuck um, kind of, you know, or, <laughs> or, or, or miserly types of things. Ebenezer Scrooge, like people who do not spend their money. And so I'm kind of curious about how people balance that. And everyone comes at it from different perspectives from this memory. But you're right. If you're buying a, a new BMW yeah. and you're not checking in with your partner, That's I don't know anyone who would have a, a not have a problem with that, right? No, yeah. no. That should be a conversation always, 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 always. Yeah. Um, and it can be something definably for that person as extreme as that. It could be, you know, a gambling issue. It could be, you know, yeah. embezzling from a business. I mean, there's so many different facets of this, or it could be really personal. So I talked with a gal who it's very sex in the city and Carrie Bradshaw, who's in New York, who blew her budget, her rent budget on Christian Louboutin heels, which, you know, are beautiful <laughs> shoes. But at the end of the day, like that doesn't put a roof over your head. So she wasn't impeccable with herself, which is kind of, you know, that's mm -hmm. not officially a definition of a financial infidelity, but it absolutely true was hers. And it was her not being impeccable with her own self, with her own finances. So that became her financial infidelity. Well, that's really interesting. I hadn't even thought of that, that it's like you're sort of lying to yourself as well, just getting really honest with the way that you think about money. Because I feel like for the most part, people who are scared of talking about money or have these negative narratives, like you were mentioning of like, how can I reconcile? Like I've all, when, when I didn't have any, I had all sorts of judgments about people who got to have appetizers or got, I remember Jerbo jeans. I remember like being in high school right. and just being like, oh my God, they've got guest jeans. Like who do I have to rob to get myself a pair of get, you know, but then you think about just that accountability of if you're afraid to have the conversations with your partner, I'm sure you're afraid to have the conversation with yourself and even look at that budget. Spot on and afraid to have the conversations with a financial advisor. There's a yeah. there's a lack of worthiness um, somewhere that falls in that as well. And there's definitely a gray area there. And I've I've found that really, really interesting, especially in the last few months. And that's been um, you, know, you know, when you get messaging that's coming to you and you're like, I have to share that. And it's really coming in strong to you. That mm -hmm. has happened to me so much in the last few months where folks that I've talked with they have the mindset of like, oh, I could never have a financial advisor. I don't have enough. Um, I see the commercials. You have to have half a million or 10 million or 1 million or whatever. I don't have enough to be yeah. worthy enough to talk to a financial advisor. And that like hit my heart so hard because that's, yes, I'm sure in some firms that is the case. That is not what I do, right? Like everyone deserves a seat at the table. And that is something that I feel like now I want to scream from all the rooftops. Because if you're starting out, if you've got a thousand dollars and you're like, I need to start somewhere, how do I get there? Mm. Have a conversation. Like that is something that we lean into because it's about the relationship. And you worked damn hard for whatever dollar amount that you have, regardless of what it is. And we've got clients across the spectrum, right? Folks who are starting out, starting over, folks with multi, multi million dollar accounts, right? It's about the relationship having the conversation and knowing that you deserve and absolutely have a seat at the table. 
Well, and you know, the word shame comes up for me about this. So like when people have a hard time going to a financial advisor, if they don't feel like they've been doing the right thing, I think it's really hard to start, start that conversation. Yes. And I love what you said, that it doesn't matter where you are. Everybody has a place at this table, which I love. Um, I want to just go back a little bit and say, I love the conversation about like the infidelity can be within yourself. You can mm -hmm. cheat on yourself and not treat yourself well. And you know what came up for me uh, was the timeline mm -hmm. within which we grew up. So I joke with a couple of my friends about like when we were growing up and we were in our 20s, every credit card company, you go to Dayton's and you're like, you can get 10% off if you start a credit card. And then you just start getting all these credit cards. I swear I had 15 at one point in my life, oh my God. just yeah. 15 credit cards because everyone kept offering a new one. And then I would trade balances and I was doing all that shit that, you know, doesn't end up paying it off at all. Um, but there's a really interesting history. Like, I don't, I don't think people are doing that same thing. I'm totally helping my kids not do that. I'm like, do not ring up credit card bills if you can. No, um, but that's a thing. That is a is. thing. Like I remember, and I think we're probably close to the same age. I remember going through like college campus, right? And there were all the booths set up and you're like, you get a free pizza, you get a free t-shirt, bag of M&Ms, right? Like you get all this junk that yep. you feel like you need to have in that moment. And the same thing with the stores, you get 10% yeah. off or 15% off. And you're like, heck yeah, I need to have 32 credit cards. No, yeah. no. Yeah. And also like your frontal lobe at that time is not fully developed and people don't really understand that this is not actually free money. Yeah. And before your frontal lobe is developed, we, we don't have headlights. Like we can't picture that there are going to be consequences for whatever it is we're doing now. We just want to have fun now. Yeah. Well, and you can get that leather jacket just by putting it on this credit card, right? Right. So it's incredibly powerful. You said something else, Jennifer, about like, you know, the incentive that people have to like invest. And so if you don't have $10,000 or whatnot, but I see that a lot. Like even if I sign on to a credit card that I have, the one that I have now, or I have two, um, the one that I sign on to, it'll say, if you put $5,000 cash into this, you'll get a bonus if you do it today. And I'm like, how many people have $5,000 sitting around? I mean, this is where privilege and where the economic disparity in our culture goes and like you said, there's a lot of judgment against the Bezos people and, you know, people like him that have all these money and they don't necessarily help the homelessness issue in the way that we think they should, which is very complicated. I realize it's not yeah. just like giving money to every homeless person. So it's a really interesting thing we do with the rich versus the not rich and the privileged versus the not. And we have big race issues being discussed in our culture right now. We obviously politics is very much about haves and haves nots. So... Yeah. And I think, I mean, those are all super heavy topics for sure. And yeah. that would be, you know, days and days for us to chat through all of that for all, by all means. Jennifer, I don't know if you have time, but we're going we're gonna <laughs> to cancel be doing your it. day. <laughs> Changing <laughs> the world, right? Yes. <laughs> I think some of that goes back to, and again, this is just icing on the cake, right? Like not hitting hard on all these issues because they are issues, of course. Um, but I think it goes back to two, at least on the financial side, financial literacy. Right. When we were growing up, it like wasn't a thing. Right. No one was saying, hey, Jennifer, let me sit you down and talk to you about this foreign language that's finance and what you should be doing when you're 18 to be a millionaire. You know what I mean? Like no one had that conversation. And I think that's where for me, too, I want to change the narrative narrative in such a huge way. I mean, my background I don't fit. I don't fit the world of finance, but I also pride myself in that. I mean, I came from TV. Um, as you said, I was Emmy nominated. Right. So I was a journalist and I was going to live in that land forever. So I thought um, and my grandparents raised me. They were mom and dad. And when my grandpa got sick, we thought he's going to recover. He's that crabby, ornery, get off your lawn type of guy. Right. He will get he will live forever. He will live longer than us. That was just the mindset, which was not realistic, but it was the mindset. And so 
I literally just signed a pretty big TV contract um, and he wasn't doing well. I was like, well, let's go. I need to go home. So I went home um, and he passed away and I was there when it happened. And it was one of those surreal moments. Like you're like, what, what just happened? And, and not only being emotional, but they didn't have a lot, but what they had was spread around everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, They were depression kids, right? So they didn't trust anybody or anything. So they spread it around everywhere. And my grandma and myself, we found ourselves going in front of different advisors, different institutions, different banks. Again, not that they had a lot, but we never felt that the person on the other side of the chair was doing what was in my grandma's best interest or that was warm and fuzzy at all. And she's like, if we're going through this, imagine how many other women are going through this. And at that moment, I said, OK, I'll, I'll do everything I can and, and help in any way I can. And I felt like looking back, I think there's the whole thought process of like you're in a river. You can be in that river and you can fight it and you can go upstream. You can yep. stand there in that river and just have the water hit your back or you can go with it and see where it takes you. And that's what I did in that exact moment. I just went with it to see where it took me. And here I am almost 15 years later in finance. And that's why for me, it's so passionate to share that financial literacy because I was on the other side of the chair. I was on the other side of the chair, not knowing, you know, TV background, no financial common sense in essence, right? I had to learn the foreign language to be able to share that with my grandma. And now it's like really opening up so I can share it with others across the board and and know that education is there. And education is, you know, it's it's free. Education is there how you want it to be. So I think that's such an important point. Wow, Jennifer, that's, I mean, it's so incredibly powerful and that you had to, a sort of necessity, no one else was going to help her. But I'm thinking about even just like, I've never heard anyone talk about financial literacy or these conversations that I'm assuming if your parents are successful or even not successful, if they have a healthy relationship with money, these are conversations that they might have with you and then you become better equipped to be more literate, but if it's just generation after generation where no one talks about it, no one knows how to move ahead or manage their finances. Because I know, I mean, we certainly, no one ever talked about all I know, all I knew was that there wasn't enough of it and it was really stressful. And that if I ever asked for something, it would bring everybody a lot of stress. And so to grow to a place where you even feel equipped to start learning this language, like what you were saying of like, there's a spot for everyone at the table. That's a very novel concept because even now when we have our meetings with our financial people that I love and I do trust them, I zone out very quickly because in my narrative, I do hearts and minds and not numbers, and that is not my language, and I don't know what they're talking about, and so sometimes even in those conversations, I will tune out, and then my husband tunes in because I just decided I am not competent in that area, but it's very inspiring to see someone say, this is sort of like an issue for a lot of women, and step up, and it's just, it's free, learn, Learn yeah. the language. Yeah. And I really do appreciate, Jennifer, you talking about gender. I mean, I think we are so socialized, uh, yeah. both as men and as women, um, and now non-binary people, we are so socialized to believe certain things about what our role is and what we're supposed to do. And as you talk about your grandmother, how frightening it is mm-hmm. for probably her to be in a situation where maybe she had never seen a checkbook. I hear that from a lot of older women in particular. I did not know what bills we had. I did not know what accounts we had. The husband always took care of it because that was that generation. And, you know, you mentioned the Depression era, which 
you know, my grandparents as well, right? And I, I always think about what those rippling effects are through the generations. And again, when I started making money as a psychotherapist, which I might say, I might say that I actually contacted my graduate program after I was in private practice for a while. And I said, you guys need a class on running a business because oh we gosh, do not yes. talk about, you know, I charge $200 an hour. And, you know, for people to ask for that, just to talk um, seems like a lot of money, oh but it's not just talking, right? There is a skill that comes with this, hopefully a benefit to it. Can but I, I just say the funniest thing? Yeah. I just remember the first time I ever tried, it was at, because he was my, he hired me 25, 20 years ago, yeah. however, and I remember 50. it was no. 25,000 years ago, but I remember <laughs> this is how I, this is how I introduced my fee for service. Be, I was like, so, and I remember I wasn't quite licensed yet. And I said, so I'm charging $75 for a session. And without a pause, I would say, but if that's too much for you, I completely understand. And if that, you know, we let, I don't want it to be stressful. Whatever you can pay is fine with me. And then I remember someone was just like, I'm sorry. Like, if you go to your dentist, does she say, Oh, but you know, if that's too expensive for you, yep. don't worry about it. Yep. So it is, it's just like adjusting the narrative it all is. the time and your worth. Like this yeah. lemonade statement. I was going to say, the lemonade guy, you know, added his his little pieces to it, the song and dance as well. But I remember as an intern, it was $88 an hour that I was charging. And I had a hard time asking people for it because yeah. I felt so green. And the truth is, I was. I had a, and a tremendous supervisor who was going to watch my work. But, you know, finding our worth in this as well, and probably you as a financial planner and advisor, I mean, there's a point at which what you take for managing people's money, which, by the way, feels so critical right now since we've been struggling in the economy over these years. Mm -hmm. um, I have some clients who are financial advisors, and it's just been an interesting several years for them. And there's worry about a crash and there's worry about like taking cash out and, you know, whatever else. Go ahead. Yeah, I think it goes honestly. So yes and no, I'll agree to disagree to this to a certain extent. I think for an individual, it really goes back to what their financial plan is. And if you are in a coupling situation that both of you need to be present in that and be aware of like what your goals are and sure. what it takes to get to your goals. So I think really leaning in hard into financial planning, I think helps alleviate some of the you know, not that market volatility is fun and no one wants to throw a party by any means. However, that being said, if you know what your goals are and you know what you need to do to get your goals and you have that lined out in a financial plan, that takes some of the, the scariness out of it because you know you're at step A or wherever step you are and you know what it takes to get to your next, you know, end game of retirement or whatever your financial goal is and you know what it takes to get there. But I think that's where that communication comes in and really having, again, if you are in a coupling situation or it's just you solo, whatever that looks like or however you define that, making sure that you're present for those financial conversations, have those financial conversations, but make sure you're present with whoever your financial professional is and yeah. really talk through that because that's hugely important to be on the same page there and to know what's happening and why it's happening. And you know what's interesting, Jennifer, this is obviously a relationship-based podcast, and you just kind of highlighted how important it is that people trust their financial advisor. I mean, you are literally putting your money in somebody else's mm -hmm. hands. And so how you convey your experience, how you manage these relationships with your clients, just as the ones that we do. Like I always tell people, if I'm not the right fit for you as a therapist, I tend to be very directive. I tend to be really honest. I say fuck uh, during my appointments. And if I'm not the right style for someone, it's mm -hmm. not the right fit. Luckily, I've not run into that a great deal. But, you know, I think, Jennifer, that your your 
approach to people yeah. and your ability to kind of connect to them and say what you just said, which is very soothing and very calming and very this unconditional and supportive. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's going to create trust in that relationship that you need from them as well. Yeah. And I think being direct for me, I'm also direct as well, but I think that's, that's a good quality, right? Because I want to make sure that I'm communicating. And then that person, whoever that potential client is, has a comfortable communication back because it's got to go both ways. That's so important. So if that's not there, then find someone that you communicate with well, that you have good conversations with. And like I said, even on the educational side, like for us, we do monthly virtual coffee chats, which are, again, they're free, right? Join. Let's talk about different topics like last month or actually this month, rather. We talked. No, it was last month because we're already moving forward. Gosh, time's flying. Um, We talked through Medicare, right? Medicare is crazy and wonky and keeps changing. We talked through that. We talked through market volatility. What's happening with the legalities behind trusts and beneficiaries? Uh, What's happening in the world of, of taxes? And I'll bring on different guests and different folks you'll see on CNBC or Bloomberg to to really do these coffee chats and kind of just have that conversation. And those are important conversations to, I feel like, be a part of because you can ask those questions and it's open and it's in one of those environments where you may say, oh, I don't know, or I want to clam up. Well, listen Mm -hmm. in, join in. At some point, I would urge whoever's listening, right, to take responsibility for their own finances to whatever extent that is. If you are, you know, in a couple situation, fantastic. Make sure that you're having that conversation in your home bubble, whatever that looks like. And then also making sure that you're present for yourself. And back to couples and finances, right? That looks so different for individuals across the board. Some people keep it separate. Some people overlap. Some people overlap only house expense accounts or kid expense accounts. So it's really making sure that that dynamic that you're comfortable with, and that's an open conversation there too. I'll also tell you, Jennifer, when you talk about infidelity, um, I I am somewhat surprised by how many people have disclosed to me that they have a private account that 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 their partner does not know about. Yeah, um, I appreciate you nodding. And it is so interesting to me because I'm kind of big on transparency. I think the goal of relationship work is to be entirely honest with your partner about everything, sex and money and sure. you know, every single part of your relationship. So I'm very struck by people having this kind of secret fund. Um, and it's almost like to get out of the, re- the relationship potentially. Go ahead. Yeah. And I think a secret fund is not the way to go in a perfect world. Right. Again, if you are in a bad situation, then you need to do what you need to do. And that makes sense. Right. Not judging that at all by any means. However, if you are in a, you know, comfortable, healthy environment in your relationship, then have that conversation. Like my husband and I, we have overlaps. We don't. We have other accounts that are if I'm buying something like it's fine. He likes tiki mugs like right? Like they come in. I'm like, Oh, look at that fantastic tiki mug. Like, and he loves it. Like that's his thing. Oh, you love him too. No, I love it when people have a really quirky obsession or collection that never would have occurred to me. I don't know. It makes me so happy when people find their thing. (laughs) I have one tiki mug at home and it's a hockey goalie. Um, from a beautiful place downtown St. Paul by the Excel Center with a wild play. I'm a hockey nice. fanatic and I love it. It comes from a tiki bar. So. Yeah, that's super cool. And that's maybe your thing, right? So whatever your collection is or whatever your thing is at the end of the day, great. And maybe you have an account for that. But yeah. again, we have the over conversation that, yeah, you that's your money. You do what you want with that. Like I have an account as well. And then we have shared accounts across the board too. So I think it's just really 
again, having that nice dinner, wherever you go at home, going out, whatever, and really talking through this and making sure that there's transparency there. Yeah. Jennifer, you might have just answered this, but, you know, I think one of the questions that we ultimately are faced with and that what people want to know probably on this podcast episode is like when you're really feeling stuck or you're in that place of shame or you feel like you've taken out your 401k and you played the paid the penalties and whatnot to get your house fixed up or whatever. How do people how do you start talking with people about getting unstuck? How do you talk to people about removing their hang ups and moving forward? Yeah, that's yeah, no, that's a fantastic question. I think that's more of a discovery meeting, right? Like, let's sit down and this is where we figure out, does it make sense for us to chat together? Is our communication style similar? Are you comfortable with it? Um, I, I think that's where it starts coming out. And I think more of the comfort level that's there makes folks more comfortable to really, truly share. And everything obviously is confidential in our world as well. So anything that's shared is not shared elsewhere. Um, But sometimes people just need to come in and really verbally unload what's going on and say, here's all my pieces. It's a little messy and dirty, but can you help me get on track? Um, And I think it's really being, obviously they have to have that self-realization of being completely vulnerable and honest going in and having that conversation. And that's where we can really help is saying, hey, here's where you're at. Yeah, maybe you didn't make some of the best financial decisions, but you had to do what you had to do in that moment. And let's get you back on track for what your goals are, whatever they are. I feel like that would immediately take all of the shame out of it because it's discovery. It's curiosity. It's like, I mean, there are a lot of similarities, I think, between what we do and what you're doing. And the way that I think about it sometimes is just like, come as you are like this is the starting place it's discovery it's curiosity and the way that i see our work is we follow you one step ahead so whatever you want whatever your agenda is we are rooting for you and we just might have the resources or the perspective to like roll out that red carpet for you to go exactly in the direction that you want to go and i feel like you do the same That's beautifully said, because I do feel like there's definitely a psychological overlap here for sure. Um, But same thing, right? I'm here to listen and find out what you need in that moment and what your concerns are and what your your feelings are truly in that moment. And then how can we evolve to get you to where you need to be or at least on a track where you need to be? And Jennifer, interestingly enough, I mean, your communication is obviously very clear. You talk really easily about these sorts of things. And so I think you likely really model that for the people that you're working with. But you said communication style, and it really hit me. Mm -hmm. I wrote it down right away because that's our work, right? Like for all of the people, you know, and it's been interesting to me to work with couples that can't say the words, I'm sorry, if they've hurt their partner, or they can't identify a feeling necessarily. And so our work becomes so much about helping people develop that transparent, honest, open, authentic communication that really is required to do the work with you, right? And so it's interesting how much we work in tandem probably in a number of ways. And so I'm I'm very struck by, and I'm kind of curious, like, do you end up sometimes referring people for therapy so they can develop those skills? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, Sometimes um, I feel like you hit it perfectly with the transparency and open communication, right? If if someone's not in your world too, I'm sure, right? If someone's not truly sharing their heart centric truth, whatever that is, then how can you help them to get on the path where they need to be? Same for me, same exact for me, right? If you're not sharing and you have all these things going on or a ton of debt or other things happening. I can't help you get there because we have to be open and honest in that situation. And so the it sounds like the 
first piece is we have to learn how to think about money individually and feel empowered individually to step up to the table, to not tune out, to not sell ourselves short and to figure out how to work past all of these, like the shame and the ruts that we're in. And then when we get to the table individually, we are then maybe able to think about how to talk about it as a couple. But I don't think anybody that's in a couple has already done this individual work to get there. I mean, I'm just picturing that the work that you're doing, just like what Doug was saying, is they like a couple shows up in your office to talk about money, but they don't even know how to talk about money or how they feel about money. And well, and you know what's interesting, Jennifer? We've done a, a, a podcast episode on do opposites really attract? Mm-hmm. And one of the people that wrote into us was talking about how stable she was and how fiscally responsible she was. And her boyfriend was like, I can't even afford my rent. And, you know, I or, or bitching about his rent, which is a really low amount. I, I think there's a part of this that, you know, coming together on these very, very different ways of looking at it, everyone does have to do their own individual kind of exploration to figure out what they want and what they need. And you, you simplify it into like what mm-hmm. the goals are. Like, I, I think one of the pieces that really gets people stumbled, uh, even in relationship stuff, like, and dating and whatnot, which we talk a great deal about, is the reality that I think people have to really look inside. And people have a hard time doing it. Like, who are you? And what are you looking for? And that comes to relationships and money and sex. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm very struck by, too, um, therapists have a hard time asking these questions. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember one time I asked a couple, um, tell me about your sex life. And literally one of the guys said, that's really personal. I'm like, well, uh, You're yeah. in therapy. where are you? Right? <laughs> where <laughs> else are you going to get personal about this? As a couple. But like therapists have a hard time asking this tough question, even about money. Like, where are you guys at with money? But we should be asking that question in our assessment. Yeah, because I think that's a huge component, right? I think that goes right up there with taboo subjects that shouldn't be taboo, you know? Um, taboo. That's right. and, I, and I feel like with couples, sometimes like in the case of my grandparents, right? My grandma, yeah, she did the checkbook, but she didn't do anything outside of that, right? Really. So it comes to the point of like, Lord forbid, what if something happens to your loved one? You're going to be mourning the loss of that person. And now you're going to have to be navigating finance. So that's why it's so important to come to the table and know what's happening and to be present in those situations, just because it's so, so important. But at some point, so it's either someone passing away, it could be an inheritance, or it could be just a fire that somebody's like, oh my gosh, like, what am I doing? Am I doing the right things? I think I am, but maybe I'm not. Am I? Am I? And so they'll come in and say, here's what I've been doing. Like, can you tell me if I'm on track? And I think it's a light bulb that hits people at certain ages too. I'm seeing a lot of younger folks coming in being like, oh my gosh, I'm 20. 22, I'm way behind the game. And I'm like, whoa, you're, you're good. <laughs> Let's get you on track. Like you're in a fantastic spot. Right. Um, but then there's the people who are in their thirties and forties and fifties being like, I just kept my head down and here's what I did. And I don't even know if I've done the right things. And I've had those conversations or people who are getting close to retiring and saying, I think I've done things, but am I even okay? Can I even retire? So those are all pivotal moments. I think where that light bulb just hits people. Um, And sometimes it's them having that self-realization. And sometimes it's something tragic, like losing a loved one. So it hits people at different times. But if you can be proactive with it and really kind of embrace it and say, okay, I'm going to empower myself and figure this out. Like that is the place to be. You know, it's interesting, uh, Jennifer, it brings up so many things and you talk specifically about your grandmother's situation. But I think about young people who are struggling with the idea of paying off student debt 
um, people who have hundreds of thousands of dollars to pay off and they just don't see their way out of it. Um, we have those fires, uh, the re really regretful fires in Lahaina, in Maui, um, and how people are without insurance and not knowing how to rebuild and, and, and do they sell their properties to these money investors uh, or these investors who are looking to buy that property. There's so many things going on. I think the real question becomes when people are in those situations, how do you help them feel empowered to kind of take that first step when they are feeling so overwhelmed and so kind of stuck? And I know, uh, again, the generations that are currently coming up in the, like the, I will say probably the uh, millennials in particular are kind of struggling, like you guys all fucking bought everything and you're just keeping on working and you're not retiring. And so you're not allowing us to take, to take over, right? Um, I don't wanna simplify that process for any millennial. I apologize for how simplistic I made that. But there's a part of this, like how do you in in encourage empowerment for people who are feeling like there's just no hope? Yeah, well, in a perfect world, which it clearly is not, right? I would hope that you would have that conversation before something tragic happens in your world. Not always the case by any means, like I shared, there, there's tragedies that happen and sometimes that's the, the real fire or light bulb that goes off for people that are like, oh my gosh, like I have to deal with it now because I haven't before. Right. Um, or it hasn't been front of mind or whatnot. I think... Yeah. It's a, such an individualized basis, right? Of You're coming to the table with wherever you are, right? Whether that's something tragic that happened in your world, whether you lost someone, whether you lost a home, like those are huge, big moments. And those are moments that you need to come to the table individually as a couple, whatever that looks like, but have that initial conversation. And again, in a perfect world, hopefully it's not because of something tragic that's happened. And hopefully you've had a little bit of a runway ahead of that. But if you're in that situation and you don't have that runway, yes, I think any time is a good time to have that conversation. If you can muster up, you know, the strength individually to do that. Yeah. And I think like a really important piece of feeling empowered is just what you said, but just like show up, yeah. ask question. Right. You have a place at the table. Like that feels like such an important bottom line. Yeah. The whole, you have a place at the table. Like I've said, like that has just been woo, coming into me so big. And, and it's interesting because I've had that conversation with folks and folks that again, just very casually uh, them coming to the table saying, Hey, I don't have enough. And I, I don't have this threshold or I don't have this much you have a place at the table. You have a place to have that conversation and to get on track because how are you going to get there if you're not talking about that now? And it's been very yeah. emotional. And I've had a lot of those emotional conversations in the last couple months. And again, very casually, but I feel yeah. like for folks, it was one of those like huge, huge insightful moments for them. And they felt a relief knowing that they could be empowered regardless of where they are on their path. And because, you know, I think about all of these things, first, we have to sort of heal ourselves as individuals. But so, you know, we're we're a relationship podcast. They were always bringing it back to how do we make sense of this in relationships? So can you take us through like a couple shows up in your office mm -hmm. and what are they asking you? And like, how do you talk to them about what they should be thinking about, how they should be communicating about money? Yeah, so. I'm going to be a little vanilla here because everybody's so different and everybody's yeah. coupling is so different in that dynamic too. 
generally when folks will sit down, there's something that's triggering them. Either they're not happy in the environment, the market's wonky, they had a tragic situation happening, or they just had light bulbs going off saying, oh goodness, time's gone by, are we doing the right things? So at that moment, I generally say, if you're open to it, provide me all the statements of anything that you have, mm-hmm. right? I want to see it all. I want to see everything. I And I want you to verbalize everything. Like, do you have yeah. a 401k? Are there retirement accounts outside of that? Do you have like 10 401ks from 10 different jobs that you've had all over the place and haven't, you know, things are just floating around everywhere. Um, I want to know that you've got emergency money on the sidelines. So if things hit the fan in your world, you've got a first line of defense to go to. Uh, And and again, each person's different on what they need in that emergency money, depending on their situation as well. But I really want everything on the table. I mean, it's interesting because when people come in, Sometimes they'll just bring in a binder or a stack of papers and they're like, here you go. Here's here's my life right here and all, all these papers. And then yeah. we go through and talk through like, well, why do you have this? Did, did you work here? Like, why did you do it this way? Why are your investments structured this way? What does this look like for you? So I can really get a feel of were they trying to do it themselves? Did they just kind of set it and forget it behind the scenes? Were they active in anything at all? Or are they just like, I'm a hot mess. Here's all my stuff and I don't know how to organize it. So it really gives me a feel of them talking it through in their own words. And you also see who's the dominant person in the relationship when it comes to finance, having those conversations, because there generally is always one. Um, And you also get a feel of like their risk tolerances in couples. Risk tolerance can be very different. There's normally not a complete unison where everybody's on the same page with everything. So what does that look like? So really talking through all the psychology behind why they did what they did, why they haven't maybe done what they should have been doing, what that looks like and talking through. And that's really that discovery meeting, right? Discovering each other, discovering how we communicate, discovering who's at the table, who's more vocal and making sure that this is a embraced environment. So if someone's talking more, I definitely engage the other person because I want every person to feel valid and important and knowing that they should be there as well. I love it so much. And is there like something, I don't even know if it exists, but do you ever ask people about just like each individual goal or like what, like here are a list of 20 financial goals. Like what's important to you? Just like the value system of what are you wanting to save up for? Yeah, that's part of the the discovery conversation. And part of when we do a financial plan for someone, that's literally one of the questions are what are your goals? Like what order your goals come in? Some people don't ever want to retire. And that's just that's who they are. Some people are like, I want to travel. I want to go on a sailboat. I want to spend time with my grandkids. I want to camp. Everybody's so different of what their goals are. And I think that really comes back to Like, why are you doing the things that you're doing with money? Why are you doing that? Is it to create more time so you can spend with loved ones or to travel or to do whatever? Like, what is the reasoning of the why behind Mm -hmm. what you did with your money? And I think Mm -hmm. that is hugely eye-opening for not only me in that conversation, but many times for them and having that self-realization. Sometimes I think about um, just like when we think about our own values, which most of us don't spend a lot of time even thinking about it. So like in our work to look at those values and then to see like, are your habits, does your day to day sit in alignment with your actual values? And most of the time it doesn't. And so I feel like this is exactly, this is like a way to figure out like the why, like there's, I'm assuming like there's no right or wrong value system. Like if someone really values travel and not clothes, I I can't, that's not a good example, but but you're spot on because that's why everyone is so different individually. 
Yeah. And it's fine as long as you are maybe living in alignment with whatever your values are. I'll tell you, too, in this whole conversation, Jennifer, I'm finding myself uh, kind of triggered by so many thoughts that I have and so many experiences I've had. And, you know, growing up uh, on a farm family, which was highly, highly unpredictable in terms of income, it was based on the weather and it was based on crop yield and all that sort of thing. And I watched my father really struggle and he, he begged me not to be a farmer because of it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's an interesting piece and I have so many things I could share about when I started to make money, but I hoard food because... Um, And when my kids were growing up, they're like, how many sandwiches do we need? Or whatever it is, right? Because I overdid it. I overcompensated because I hated that feeling of not having enough. And I bought them the Jerbo jeans or it wasn't Jerbo at that time. Um, I sold those in Dayton's when I was young. Um, But I'll tell you something, you know, one of the pieces, uh, boy, there's so much that comes up for me. This, uh, you know, I started making more. So I started spending more. And um, I have found myself in a situation where I have a, a, a rental in my property I have a, uh, an office at home. I have an office at work. We have this podcast. And I luckily have an accountant that knows how to help me manage all of my expenses and take my deductions and, mm-hmm. and really learn. But here's the thing. You are an expert in this. And, that's, and, and we're experts in mental health and relationships. And the thing about it is we have to trust these people. We have to find yes. those people to help guide us. But I take a look at the fact that I knew nothing growing up. We've never even talked about money. I don't even know how I got to college and got through it because I don't know how it got paid for necessarily, right? Um, it was just so willy-nilly. And so the idea that we should be conscious about this and thoughtful and really take a moment and start thinking about, like, what are we doing? I would have loved that message at some point. Yes. But so much, many of us grow up not having any dialogue about that. But so, we can do better for the next generation. This is why every, every generation is yeah. supposed to be more evolved than the last. Yeah. Like, we need to help everyone that we talk to feel empowered to ask the questions and talk to their kids. It's just pay it forward. And I think that's where the sharing comes in, right? When people need obviously good mental health, right? That's where the sharing comes in. When people need a good CPA, that's where the sharing comes in. So as you're hearing these conversations across the board, do we have folks who are experts in their fields to point them to? Yes. And that's where we really want to keep that open dialogue, which clearly you are, of course. But that's where others, I encourage them to keep the open dialogue as well, because we can lift each other as we're going through. Like the goal is to lift the person behind us and then they can lift the person behind them and keep it going that way. And I also think about like what you said about these like education is free. Like I'm even thinking about both like our podcasts, right? Would I love everyone on the planet to go see a psychologist, a therapist, you know, yes, 100% or a financial advisor, a thousand percent. But that is scary or taboo for so many people. And there's free education. Like we have podcasts. We're trying to guide and give so much content and information for people who might not want to or be able to access this information. So... You know, we've talked so, and Jennifer, this has been an incredibly helpful, like, dialogue that I hope people will really be responsive to in terms of, like, triggering their own experiences with money. Um, But I find myself in all of the depth by which we've been discussing, thinking about some very simple tips and tricks, Mm -hmm. um, simple ideas on how, you know, people can avoid the pitfalls of moving forward with their finances. What do you have as a recommendation to even start that process? And maybe even the conversation about it. Like, what sh- what are the tips and tricks yeah. for like what should we be thinking about financially and what are the tips and tricks to not have your marriage end in a fiery 
keep because you're not talking about and divorce settlements we won't even get into because that's a whole nother conversation (laughs) but yeah that could be a day-long podcast in itself right just that um i I think that's a that's a big question right and has a lot of moving parts to it i think initially it's it's giving yourself really having that internal dialogue giving that to yourself and saying where am i at where am i at am i good do i feel good about this do i not I think when you initially have the conversation, like even the thought or the words money memories that Mm. triggers everyone because something will pop in and you're like, oh, gosh. And then you have that self-realization again, thinking maybe that's why I am the way I am. Like you had said something about food, right? Same for me, raised by my grandparents. Grandparents had um, and it's funny, but not funny. Like they had cabinets full of like canned beans, canned corn, canned everything because they were depression kids. So in my mind, that's where I go with food is a thing, right? Like you eat your food. Let's not be wasteful with food. Like for them, it was to the point of they had bloated canned corn and bloated canned beans. I'm like, guys, if you're going to go out of the universe, you're going to go out for a good reason, not because you ate a bloated (laughs) can of corn from 1972. So I went in and I like got literally garbage bag, not kidding, like garbage bag, garbage bag for all these cans. And they were so angry with me in that moment. And I said, I will replace every can that I take, but I want you to be obviously healthy if you're going to have cans that they're not cans from 30 years ago. So for them, I mean, just really going back to that. And that was clearly their money memory, which became my money memory, which evolved to where I'm at now. So I think back to your original question, having that self-realization, where am I at with money? How do I feel? What was my money memory? And then are you on track? Are you on track with where you think you should be? Because it's always good. Even if you are, it's always good to have a second set of eyes in that conversation. So whoever you deal with, fantastic. I would say a couple couple points. Um, there is a website called FINRA. It's F-I-N-R-A. And it's broker check. So you can actually look up any advisor you're thinking about having a conversation with to see complete transparency, to see if they have any customer complaints, lawsuits, whatever behind the scenes. So I think that's a great step before you make your first initial call to anybody is just saying, hey, what what do they have behind the scenes there? And then making that, you know, conversation, that phone call and just saying, hey, let's have a discovery call. That's what we do. Or even with the podcast, you can kind of get to know me a little bit through the podcast. And then we also offer a ton of free different resources and those free coffee chats. Again, if you were to go to my website, sign up for it, it's no obligation. We just send you an invite to the coffee chat. That's it. If you want to come, fantastic. If you don't, that's okay too. But do something, whether that be with me, whether that be with someone else, like, open up that narrative for yourself. You know, Jennifer, one of the things, even as you talk about that food situation with your grandparents, which uh, there's a joke, uh, I I swear half the children from my uh, child's hockey team knew to come to my house if there was ever a disaster because my freezer was always full of food that I would never really eat because (laughs) I couldn't. Um, And you know what is striking to me is that as smart as I think I might be about certain things, I was unaware of this. Mm-hmm. Like, I find myself not aware. My daughter, uh, my older daughter went to NYU and she came home one time and she looked in the cabinet and she said, how many condiments do we have? Like, do we really need all of these? And I'm like, but what if we wanted horseradish sauce? Or what if we wanted this particular taco sauce? And she just looked at me and she said, oh my God, what are we doing? We have like 20 kinds. And I found myself really unaware until she said that of what mm-hmm. I was doing. And I still struggle. Like I look at my cupboard and I'm like, do I really need all this? And if my freezer is not full, I have a weird anxiety about it. So I'm trying to let it get down, you know, and now I have somebody living with me. I have a buddy living in my uh, guest house and he sometimes looks in the freezer and is like, okay, we can eat a lot of this before we need to buy more food. Yes. 
If so, it's been really interesting to me. I'm just, you know, and your grandparents were probably not aware. So I want to give some compassion, I guess, mm. to the people listening to this podcast that, you know, they may not know what's going on for themselves and really try really hard to take a look and just look around. You said second set of eyes, and it really kind of triggered me in that way because I needed a second set of eyes to tell me, what are you doing? Like, why are you buying all this food? Why do you keep your freezer full? You're never going to eat all this food. So it's a fascinating world. And psychologically, I've been really kind of, I had this blind spot, right? So I think a lot of people have blind spot about how they're spending or what they're doing or how many uh, decades old their cans of creamed corn are. So, and, and no judgment on that, right? I live that. And that's become my money memory too. So I, I get it. And it's, and that's where I think it's so important to just go back to the thought of like, you have a seat at the table, no matter where you're at, right? Everyone deserves and has a seat at the table. This is such a beautiful conversation because it really is like there's such a significant connection between psychology and money. And I also think about all these couples that I talk to or people that I talk to where money is also seen as very symbolic of maybe it's like withholding or generosity or if someone loves you or doesn't love you. I mean, it's just like so wrapped up and as speaking of wrapping up like as we're wrapping up I just feel like this I mean everyone is going to get value out of this fascinating conversation and even just how to figure out how to be empowered in our own financial world be honest with ourselves the money memories the financial infidelity I mean blowing my mind with all of these concepts and the why, like, are our financial goals in alignment with our, you know, is our value system and our daily sort of habits? Yeah. But we love you. You're amazing. And we want Aww. you to tell us, like, so you were talking about the coffee chats. You were talking about your website. We are going to have all these things on our show notes as well. And then the FINRA that you mentioned. But Jennifer, will you tell us how people can find you and what your podcast, like tell us all the things. Yeah, no. And I want to say thank you so much. This was a beautiful conversation. And I think so needed because this is the financial literacy that's getting out there. So thank you for being a part of that and sharing just because it's so, so valuable. Um, I can be found at platinumwealth.net. So platinum, P-L-A-T-I-N-U-M, wealth, W-E-A-L-T-H dot net. Um, there you can find links to all the social media that we have. Uh, there's also a podcast link there too. Um, and then if you sign up for our email list, that's where we send out the invites on a monthly basis to the coffee chats and then just market updates too. Um, completely educational. Um, and then if we can help in any way, we're licensed in many states throughout the United States and we've got clients all over the place. So if we could ever be of any assistance or even a conversation, let us know how we can help. Incredible. Jennifer, I have to say one more thing. I have to go back to it because it really just hit me emotionally. Something you said a couple minutes ago, and I wanted to go back to it. I know I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not quite letting this wrap up, but you used the words no judgment. Mm-hmm. And it just hit me like a, a rock when you said it, because I think that will warm so many people mm-hmm. who feel that shame or who feel that tendency to you know hide what it is that they've done or not done. And when you come from this place, and that's how psychotherapy works, too. Like I encourage people to come in incredibly transparent about their experience. Do not have any judgment or shame about what you're bringing in here. It's here to talk about and whatnot. It is one of the most beautiful parts of this entire conversation. So thank you so much. And thank you for all that you do as well, because there's definitely an overlap here for sure. There is. Everyone needs a Jennifer. Decided. And we're so excited because next we get to be on your show and 
that is so fantastic too. Looking so forward full to it. circle. Jennifer, thank you so much for sharing with all of our listeners all of this beautiful information. We're, oh, I'm, I've been honored. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And it's going to be great. And we'll send it to you when it's all ready to go. And it's going to be amazing. We'll look forward to the next conversation. <laughs> Take care. Thanks. You guys, wasn't she amazing? Yeah, this was one of my favorites. I loved Jennifer. And I think it's so interesting that something so practical like money, right, is like something that has such meaning for every single person on this planet. So it's, it's how relevant so is that? so emotional in such yep. a surprising way. Yeah. Um, and we also just got to be on her podcast. So find us there. When it comes out, we'll post all the things. I think she's there. posting it tomorrow, by the way. Oh, we don't know. Yes. Okay. Yep. All right. Yes. It, tomorrow. But that was last week for you guys. You're late. You haven't even seen it yet. Just kidding. <laughs> um, if you enjoyed today's episode, which we know, we know you did. Come I on. hope so. Come on. Um, please like and subscribe and rate us and review and share with a friend if someone needs to see today's episode. And remember that we are like always, always interested in hearing from you. If you have a relationship quandary, if you have a relationship question, if you're struggling with anything in any of your relationships, family members, coworkers, friends, loved ones, mm -hmm. significant others, uh, with kind of, you know, where you're at in any relationship you have, please contact us at we'renotfine.com. You have a total space where you can put your question. You can be anonymous. You don't have to identify who you are. We would love to hear from you and we will be delighted to talk about your issue on this podcast. It is literally our jam. And you can also DM us, find us on social media. It's Dr. Talia Jackson, Douglas L. Jensen with an E-N and We're Not Fine Pod. We're on TikTok and we're on YouTube and just look up We're Not Fine. I feel like yeah. we're like coming up. We're not fine. Um, and yes, remember. Sir. And remember. We're not fine. But, and you'll get this if you just saw our episode. But at least you're not going to die of bloated can syndrome now that you know. Throw out your expired canned goods. Was that a good one? You'll know what that means after you listen to Jennifer. Well, they already have. This is our outro. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we love you. See you next week. <laughs>